welcome back, Richard. It is it's good to see you again um, in your new in a new environment for you. Um, yeah, another another new environment at least for the, at least for today. Um, yes. And I I keep forgetting to update Zoom, so I can't get that virtual background. So um, that's not a that's not a Christmas tree behind me. Um, that's actually the tip of a canoe. It's like a tip of a canoe. Yeah. A model of a of a, of a boat. Um, upright so and there's a flower in front of it i looked at it this morning and said it almost looks like a christmas tree but yeah didn't have time to dismantle the whole thing so it's just a canoe but it's january um it is january uh, 9th and uh-huh. um, flying into another year yes yes we are and we're gonna we've already we sort of started this for the for the new year and we're going to continue our conversation uh so to, again today with talking about oppositional behavior. We're going to talk about challenging behavior in, in students and, um, and kids. But today we're going to focus on uh, adolescents, teenagers. Um, you know, that I was talking to a person the other day about uh, middle school. And, uh, you know, those three middle school years have to be uh, some of the most challenging years for um, teens and preteens, but also for parents and teachers. And I, I think everyone involved um, with preteens and that, that those middle school years struggle. Uh, that, that's, right. a, that's a tough time. Um, but we're going to talk about challenging behaviors um, in those middle and high school students, those preteens and teenagers, because it's, it is different than what we talked about last week with, with younger children. Yeah, it really is. When you talk about oppositional children and you know, all kids to some extent are oppositional. I mean, everybody, you know, and they're supposed to be, uh, that's how they become independent um, and learn how to function on their own. And um, so they're, they're, they're always sort of pushing back on us it, starting, starting with the terrible twos. Right. Um, but it goes across a lifetime and, and kids eventually settle down as the brain matures. You know, we wrote that book on um, the middle school mind, you know, the, the brain of a middle schooler. And so, what we want to talk about today, though, is not the normal oppositional behavior that almost all kids, no matter how compliant and cooperative they are, um, there there is a there are some kids who become so oppositional that it becomes a real area of concern, and that's what we want to talk about today: is how do we how do we move from normal oppositional behavior to pathological oppositional behavior? And when, when you and I looked this up, <laughs> I mean, you talk about thousands, right. maybe millions of articles. I mean, the, the, the information goes on and on and on. So there must really be something to this, this notion of oppositional behavior in now we talk about tweens and teens. Right. Um, because this, this in-between group, right. um, childhood to adolescence, is also a challenge. And the reason, one of the things we want to remember is that teenage behavior is worse. It's at its worst when kids first hit puberty. Mm-hmm. The, the early teenage years are the worst, okay? Over time, as they get to middle teens and later teens, like high school seniors, um, they begin to settle down. Right. Okay, so we're really talking about these young teenagers. Um, last week, we talked about kids. We said, where are the worst problems? Preschool and kindergarten. Okay. Right. And for teenagers, it's the early teenagers that are having the most problems. Okay. Right. And so, but what we want to talk about is not normal oppositional behavior, but behavior that is so 
persistent and so difficult that um, we have to um, that we have a name for it, and that's right. called oppositional defiant disorder. Right, and and I think that, you know, that there is a difference between the two, and I and, and I think that many times parents and teachers and anyone working with with this, this group of kids, um, you know, they sometimes they struggle even with the normal teenage behavior um, mm -hmm. because that, that behavior in and of itself is can be challenging if you're not prepared for it. Um, and, and I think that our, our, our experience tends to be that the parents or the individuals who struggle with it the most are those who aren't anticipating it. They, they think, you know, I have this kid that grew up and he was so loving and he would tell it, tell me everything. And he would, you know, talk to me and he would, you know, snuggle with me on the couch and watch a movie and everything. And now all of a sudden, you know, he, he's 12 or 13 years old and, um, and he, he won't, he won't even say good morning to me. One um, one right. Yeah. So that, that, that significant shift that happens. And for many parents, it feels like, like on a dime, it feels like it happens immediately um, is, is can be unsettling for, for a lot of parents and, and folks working with these kids. And um, so that lack of preparedness for it is what really shakes some of these people. That's right. You have to prepare for that separation. The kids are going to do how many times do we hear, you know, he, he was my best buddy. We went to the hardware store together. We went to Lowe's and we'd, we'd cook and we'd camp and do all these things. Right. Now he won't have anything to do with me. Like he hates me. Okay. He stays in his room all the time. It's, won't, won't talk to us. Doesn't share anything. He used to share everything with me. Now he doesn't tell me anything. That's yeah. right. It's a normal part of the, of the uh, independence seeking that teenagers must go through. Right. They, they have to go through this. This period, it's going to happen sometime. It usually happens in the early teenage years. Right. Absolutely. So when you think about that normal teenage behavior, what we're talking about is, you know, there's a there's a, a uptick in in their emotions. Um, mm. they, they have more intense emotions, positive and negative right. um, emotions, uh, and they have pretty quick changes. So they they'll go from being really happy and excited to mm -hmm. being somewhat irritable and agitated. And, and that may seem very quick to people sometimes. And it's not mm -hmm. bipolar disorder. It's not mm -hmm. any of that stuff. It, mm -hmm. It's something that normally happens in teenagers. Right. And they become resistant. Right. Um, one author calls it counter will. And we could do, we could almost do a separate podcast on counter will. But right. as the name implies, it's they're, they're expressing their will Okay, and it is probably counter to what we want them to think or do or feel. So, but it's theirs, and and so they, there's that we feel that resistance to what we want them to do. They used to be so compliant and cooperative, and now it's like we fight about everything. Right, and 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 fight about things that you feel that you often feel are fundamental to who you are. So, you know, a lot of times you will have kids who grow up in, um, you know soundly religious homes who, you know, decide that they want to be atheists, um, you know, by the time they, they enter adolescence and it's like, well, wow, where did that come from? Because it's so, uh, such an antithesis to what our family believes. Um, you know, you have, we, we've talked before about, you know, kids who grow up in, you know, hunting homes where, you know, the family goes hunting and, you know, eats, eats meat and has the, you know, uh, beef that's what's for dinner type of uh, 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 tags on their truck and they become vegans. You know, they, they decide that they're not going to eat meat anymore. Um, so it, it's like they, but they, that counter will, that, that 
attempt to differentiate who they are from where they came from is part of that identity development that kids go through, that teenagers go through to figure out who they are. This is who they've always been. And so they want to make sure that to see if this is who I am over here. Am I something right. different than what I, I've always been? That's right. And and they, and so that's the normal stuff that kids do. They, they're they trying to figure out where do I fit in? What's my group? What's my, right. am I, am I, a jock am i the, where do i fit they also experiment right with everything They're, they experiment with stuff they try things most kids will try drugs and alcohol because it's they experiment with everything they yeah. experiment with their sexuality with their religion with the foods that they eat um and they push back they push back against the order that we established when they were in uh, elementary school you know, that right. we, we had this life that we created. Well, that's the, that's the very life that they're going to push back against because it's the only life they've known. Absolutely. So they push back on, on what we established it, that, that and you say, well, why is he attacking these things? Because these are the things that they know. Right. And they push back against that established order that we had in early, earlier childhood. They're right. going to be disagreeable. They, right. they, they are becoming their own person. And to do that, they have to exercise their will. That's what, that's what we might counter will. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is, is that because they have intense emotions, they are going to occasionally slam a door. Mm -hmm. They're going to get, you're, you're going to get size of disgust. How many times, Bernie, you were, I think you were the first one who said, I don't care if you want to do it. I just want you to do it. You, right. you can protest all you want. It's okay. I don't expect you to like cleaning a bathroom. I just want you to clean the bathroom. I, I don't like it either. <laughs> so, I mean, why would I expect my kid to like doing it? Right. I want to do it enthusiastically when I don't even want to do it. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be happy about asking, it. The whole reason yeah. I'm asking him to do it is because I don't want to do it. That's right. Um, that's, right. that's what that's what we do. But and and, and so we're not saying that that all of this stuff is okay, that it is okay that, you know, the kid wants to experiment with different things or that they want to push back so hard. And, and some, sometimes they push back very hard um, and, and, and very overtly and really in your face type of pushbacks. Um, mm -hmm. And we're not saying that that's okay and that there's nothing that we shouldn't do anything about it. I just allow it to happen. Um, we're just encouraging you to recognize that part of that is normal. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, 16 year old, 17 year old comes home from a, from a, after, uh, after the football game party and, um, you know, you might smell a little bit of alcohol on his breath or something like that. Um, we're not, it's not something that you should, you know, call in and, and put it, send him to a residential facility and, and do all that kind of stuff. Something needs to be done. Absolutely. Right. But we're not going from zero to 150 um, because part of that is normal behavior. That's right. Because what you say to yourself when you first encounter that, and most of us encountered it, is you're going, you should say, oh, okay, this is what they told me. My, my son is experimenting. Mm -hmm. It's not my son is on his road to addiction. Right. Because chances are you're, they're not on their way to addiction. Right. Because in fact, most people don't become addicted to substances okay so right. statistically it's not the it's not the slippery slope to addiction it is okay we're experimenting yes you have to do something about that but mm -hmm. you don't need to bring out um an iron fist you know that's not what it requires this is this is this is normal teenage behavior absolutely so when we think about the the difference between some of those normal that normal variants of behavior 
and what we really consider to be problematic oppositional right. um, sort of pathological behavior. There, there's three things that we look at and we look at the frequency. How often does it happen? It's right. Uh, persistence and, and the prevalence. Right. Um, and we look at those three things and, and how they uh, sort of the relationship between those things to, to try to differentiate between typical and um, atypical behavior. That's right. And that's a really good thing for parents and teachers to keep in mind is frequency, persistence, and prevalence. You, you, what we're after here is when we want to move from normal behavior, normal teenage behavior, as crazy as it sometimes is, because it is illogical. Mm. Um, there's a wonderful book said, yes, your teen is crazy is the title of it. Yes, they do. They do act crazy in some ways. But when you move to pathological, when you move to a diagnosis, um, you have to think about these three things. Uh, right. That's what we're looking for. And so to qualify for a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder, uh, it has to be around for at least six months. I mean, it's not the first time you encounter something. Right. It, it has to be a, a, around for that long. And it has to be. And what we mean by persistent is that it's um, and prevalent is that it persists in, in all settings. Um, right. So it's not just, man, he's really that way with dad, but everybody else, he's OK. You know, yeah. everybody else thinks he's wonderful and he's very right. compliant and everything. But he just behaves that way when he when he's with dad or when he's with mm -hmm. mom uh, or when he's at school. Um, everywhere else he's okay. It's just, right. that's probably not pathological. That's probably environmental. And we need to think about what's happening with, mm -hmm. with the dynamics of those relationships that could be causing the behavior. Yeah. That's a good point. If you're only oppositional with your mother, yeah, then, then it's not ODD. I mean, right. it's, 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 there's a problem. Yes, but it's not ODD. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, but the, the challenge comes with, um, when we look at some of the behaviors associated with, when we think about oppositional defiant disorder, mm -hmm. again, we're talking about a lot of these behaviors that can be very typical for this age group. You know, we're talking about like aggressive behavior. Um, you know, sometimes some of these things are subjective. Um, you know, if, if I, if my parent asks me to do something and I say, no, I'm not going to do that. You can't, you can't make me. Right. Some parents will see that as aggressive. Right. Others will just see it as resistant. Um, but either way, you know, that, that's sort of a, a subjective uh, thing with that. So uh, yeah, typically we're talking about physical aggression, kids who hurt other kids, um, either uh, it, little kids when they're younger, they hurt other kids physically, but also being aggressive uh, emotionally or verbally. Mm -hmm. um, or online, you know, um, cyberbullying. Right. So it's that you, you just feel that underlying aggression, like they, you get the feeling that they'd really like to hurt somebody in right. some way. You know? right. yeah. uh, blaming others for, for the mistakes. This is a very, again, you know, the dog ate my homework kind of, that's all very normal. But when you get these kids who are, who consistently blame somebody else right. for what they're doing, that could be a red flag. That could be a symptom. Right. They, they never apologize. They right. never say, oh, let me fix that. Or, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do something different next time. You know, they, they don't at all take any accountability uh, for their behavior. So, but again, thinking about some of that subjectivity with, with some of this, you know, one of the criteria is deliberately annoying other people. Okay. Uh, it's like, okay, is he deliberately annoying me or is he just annoying? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't tell. And I think this is that, this is that kid who 
you know, you, you frequently will have families with four or five children mm-hmm. and there'll just be one kid who just is tormenting everybody. And that's what parents say. He's just always tormenting somebody. He makes his sister cry. He goes into a room, he takes her stuff or he takes his brother's stuff. And, and there, but it's this recurring, it just goes on and on and on. All kids do that on right. occasion, but these yeah. kids seem to be annoying others. It's, it's almost like they're, they're, they're they're here to annoy other people because it's so consistent. Right. And I and I think that this is where the and, and we mentioned this last week. This is where it's so critical that you get a professional who who is familiar with child development and working with teenagers and, and young mm-hmm. uh, and preteens. Um, because to a parent, a lot of this stuff is going to feel deliberate, it's going to feel intentional. Um, you know, uh, other criteria is about temper tantrums and angry outbursts and refusal to follow directions and rules and things like that. Um, but you, you need to get a, a sort of a, a, a third eye on it, if you will, uh, sort of a, another person's perspective to look at the behavior, because, yes, it may absolutely be that your kid is deliberately attempting to cause arguments and fights, um, you know, again, with the, what you were just talking about, deliberately annoying others, you know, a lot of times parents will come in and say, like, we could all just be sitting there and everybody, everything is going just fine. And all of a sudden, he'll just say something to make his sister angry. Mm-hmm. Um, or he'll just say something out of nowhere that just is right. is infuriating. Um, right. So they see that as deliberately attempting to annoy someone. It could be, but it also could be impulsivity. It also could be, he's trying to be funny, but he's not, right. not successful. Um, you know, it could be lots of different things, but you need that other person to look at it to, and to talk with the, with the kid to really tease that apart. Right. I have a, um, a family now that I've been working with for years and this, the older child, has always kind of gone after the younger child, um, teasing, making her angry. And this has now been going on for more than five years. Mm-hmm. And now they're, 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 t- they're becoming teenagers and he's still doing it. That's mm-hmm. what we mean by persistence. Right. I mean, it has, he has never let up on this younger sibling. We don't know whether it's jealousy. We mm-hmm. don't know whether it's because he had he was an only child for seven years and now he has to share the attention. We're not sure. But from the time that child was born, he has been tormenting her. That's what we mean by persistence. And it's over and over. And it's about multiple issues. It's not running into a room and teasing her about something. Mm-hmm. This is just a daily thing that this family's dealing with. Right. Yeah. Now, the good news is um, good news, parents. Um, the good news is that if if you have a kid who through their childhood up until adolescence, um, everything was fine. You didn't see any of these behaviors. There were no oppo- the, the kid wasn't oppositional at all. Very compliant. Very. Um, but then all of a sudden now in adolescence, they're demonstrating a lot of these oppositional and maybe even meeting criteria for oppositional defiant disorder. Uh, the good news is that the research suggests that that typically they typically work right out of that process. Um, and they they a lot of those oppositional behaviors, by the time they end adolescence um, or get through adolescence, a lot of those behaviors go away. Um, the real challenge is when you know, the earlier the, these behaviors begin, the more persistent and prevalent and the, the poorer the prognosis is, mm-hmm. um, you know, the more if you think about it, the more chronic anything is, 
the, the more problematic it is. So the, at the earlier ages, uh, if you start getting these oppositional behaviors and they continue, um, mm-hmm. that's a real concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, you know, if you have a 15 year old that's never um, kind of pushed back at all, and now all of a sudden he's pushing back a little bit. Chances are the, that's I mean, a teenager. Right? Yeah, right. odds are by the time he's 18, he'll have worked through that and he'll be, right. he'll be okay. And conversely, we have behaviors that we expect in young children that we don't expect in teenagers. For example, when we talk about oppositional defiant disorder, one of the uh, symptoms is frequent and intense temper tantrums. Well, those are normal in preschoolers. Mm-hmm. Okay, But if a teenage, if a nine or 10 or 12 or 15, especially if a 14 or 15 year old is still having frequent temper tantrums, that could be an indication sure. because it should have gone away. Right. So, so you have you have two decisions. One is, is my teenager doing something that is completely inappropriate for that age? Mm-hmm. And a temper tantrum is inappropriate after age, actually after age five or six. Right. So that's one problem is, mm-hmm. does, does the behavior continue beyond a certain age? And the other thing is, did it only appear at a certain age? Right. Like, like what you were saying, if, if, you're, if your teenager suddenly becomes um, um, annoying, okay, mm-hmm. right. probably a teenage thing. Right. Okay? But right. Otherwise, because what most of these kids do is if you follow them over time, you, there is this pattern of behavior. For, that goes on for years and years and years, expressed a little differently at different age levels. Right. But, but the, it didn't start during the teen years. It wasn't a sudden change. Yeah. So, so you know, when we, so as we kind of work through this, we, we have to recognize that, again, some of these behaviors, um, a, a lot of these behaviors on that oppositional defiant disorder list um, are present even in typically developing uh right teenagers, teenagers mm-hmm. that don't have oppositional defiant disorder. They're, they're right. there. They're maybe not as frequent. They're maybe not as persistent, but they're, but they may be there. Right. Um, but we, we have to recognize that um, it, it, we have this tendency to, to look at the, look at teenagers who be, behave like this again, whether they're oppositional defiant disorder or not, we tend to look at those kids and those kids then become those behaviors. And right. so when we look at them, that's all that they are is that kid is just oppositional and we, and we fail to really appreciate all of the other things that the kid does, all the other more positive things, all of the um, good things that may happen. We, we sort of push those to the side and, and, you know, people that we've mentioned before, like Ross green, um, he says that this, this isn't necessarily an accurate picture of what's going on with the kid. Exactly. Right. And so there are these symptoms that are in DSM-5 because we are talking about a a mental health condition. Okay. So we talk about um, temper tantrums, refusing to follow rules, being very spiteful. Kids who are kids who are spiteful consistently. It's almost like they're looking for ways to get even. They're revenge seeking um, and they, they revenge, they're seeking revenge actively. And then uh, questioning uh, authority repeatedly, not questioning us once in a while, they're supposed to question us periodically, uh, parents and teachers. But there are these kids who just grind you down where everything you ask, um, they, they um, question it and they want to argue with you and get into these uh, verbal discussions and debates. And, um, and, and it wears you down, it wears the parent down. 
that might be a problem, okay? Because what, what you have with these symptoms, and these symptoms are going to be in the show notes uh, today. So you, you have these symptoms that are in the diagnostic and statistical manual. But as we've talked through them, we keep repeating, we keep saying a lot of this is normal. You know, um, so so you look at these symptoms. Well, well, my child's spiteful one, or my child questions me, or has outbursts, or slams doors. So how do I know that that it's a symptom of a disorder versus normal behavior? So what Ross Green Ross Green took that issue, Mm -hmm. and he developed another way of looking at this. And in fact, he has a name for it. He calls it inflexible explosive behavior and the symptoms and the characteristics that he gives are much more descriptive. And so it's the same thing. It's still oppositional defiant disorder, but it's in, it's in terms that are much more descriptive. And I think give a much clearer picture of um, what we mean by oppositional defiant disorder. And he clusters them into three types of behaviors. One is low frustration tolerance, one is rigid thinking, and one is they're easily ignited. And so that's another really helpful way to differentiate, is it just normal behavior or is it something that should uh, concern me? Right, and and so clearly what we're referring to with a lot of this stuff isn't just um, well, he's not doing his homework, or um, he keeps leaving the bathroom towel on the on the floor. We're, we're talking about more more overt oppositional behavior. Um, so, you know, when we think about like low frustration tolerance, what what he is talking about is you know these kids become angry and frustrated like over the littlest things, right? Um, and and it, it it may even sort of make you remember, uh, you know, those terrible twos where it was like, man, what, what happened just because we're not having chicken nuggets for dinner, he's having a horrible temper tantrum. Um, it may be something similar to that, where it's just this out of nowhere. It's like, what is, what is going on? He becomes so frustrated and so angry over nothing. Right. Right. Uh, A change in plans. You know, we were going to go here, but now we have to wait an hour Mm -hmm. and most kids can handle that. They say, okay. Or they might get angry and say, oh my gosh, but they, they handle it, okay? These kids don't handle that sort of thing. That's a very low kindling temperature. And right. they, 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 they ignite, not ignite, but they, they cannot handle even the simplest changes. Right, okay? mm-hmm. yeah. So, so, the, so there's that easily frustrated, they can't control it, they can't, right. they can't manage it. And so it leads to them being argumentative, it leads to them being, you know, some of those temper tantrums that you were talking about. It, again, you know, you kind of go through those criteria of oppositional defiant disorder. You can start ticking off some of these things right. that just by having a low frustration tolerance, you can see a lot of these behaviors. Right. That's right. And the second thing that these kids have is rigid thinking. And that comes with low frustration tolerance is that um, they tend to think in very concrete black and white terms. They're always looking for, you said, this was going to happen. And, and if you said that was going to happen at 10 o'clock, then by golly, it better happen at 10 o'clock. That, that's what you said. You promised. And that's, you hear this frequently from kids. And there right. isn't that flexibility of thinking and say, okay, she said it was 10, but it's going to be 1030. Most right. kids, most teenagers can handle the variability. Mm-hmm. These kids have a hard time with that. Yeah. And, and parents will see, you know, using that specific example, um, parents will become so will themselves become so frustrated mm-hmm. with the 
we'll just call it a double standard um, because they'll say, you know, well, if I say 10 that something's going to happen at 10 o'clock, my kid is like really agitated if it doesn't happen at 10 o'clock. But yet if I tell them that they need to be home at 10 o'clock, and if they come home at 1030, they're like, what? It's, it's basically the same thing. It's, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just 30 minutes late. It's hardly anything. Right. So th- that inconsistency, um, because, right. you know, while their, their thinking is very rigid, they can rationalize things from their perspective, but they're not going to be able to rationalize things from your perspective. That's right. And so for them, 10 to 1030 for something that they need to do makes perfect sense. <laughs> but changing from 10 to 10 30 for something for you that that's unacceptable right exactly and it and it does make a difference you know if if because once they once they make a decision then then it's very difficult to see any other perspective or any other alternative right Absolutely. and the last thing and probably the most troubling to most parents is when they ignite when they explode and and this is this is really the maybe the hallmark of this disorder is these kids, their, their older childhood, like 10, 11, these are tweeners uh, between childhood and adolescence. They haven't, we don't think they've had puberty yet, but they're, so it's pre-pubertal and early teenagers, and they're still igniting. They're still having tantrums. They're still getting, having these explosive outbursts. And that shouldn't be happening at this, at this point in their lives. The other thing is, is that the ignition occurs for no apparent, for very little reason. It just takes very little to upset them and to get them really fired up. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it, it's fascinating because, again, you know, this is where having a professional come in and work with you is so important because absolutely to, to parents and to other people working with these kids, it may seem like it's out of nowhere that there was nothing that provoked it. it just whereas from the kid's perspective, um, it was this happened and this happened and this happened and right. I, I've had enough. Um, mm-hmm. So from the kid's perspective, it could there could be absolute justification um, right. for their behavior. And but mm-hmm. nobody else knows that nobody else sees that um, it's all internal things. Oftentimes the kid has no idea why it happened. Um, they'll say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be true. It may not be true. We don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but but in the end, you know, it, it appears at least from the outside that these things are triggered for, for no apparent reason. And we have no idea where it comes from. Right. And that's why we think it's a, I mean, that's why we think there's, there's something different about the brains of these kids, you know, that they, they, they are getting upset. Anybody would get upset or disappointed. You know, you say, well, well, we can't go to the beach today. I know the car's packed and we were going to, do all these things that, well, we can't go today. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's disappointment, but these kids, for them, it's, it's, they just fall apart. We right. talked about the wheels fall off. They just fall apart because either their emotions are much bigger mm-hmm. or their ability to, to inhibit those emotions are much less. Okay. So, right. so it's, but we really don't know. And right. when we talk about why does this happen, we're sort of asking the question is, what is the cause of, of ODD? Okay. And we really don't know. Right. You know, I I think about it and often talk to parents about it, like a, um, like a a campfire type of thing, right. Or, or a bonfire sometimes, Um, you know, when the, when the fire is raging, you can see it and it's, 
you have to be careful because it could get out of control. But mm-hmm. but there are times when when there's just the embers, right? And and if you're if it's daytime and you're looking at it, it may just look like coal laying there on the ground and you don't see you don't see any anything mm-hmm. happening or anything. But then this little bit of wind comes through and all of a sudden there it goes again. Um, and, and that's what happens with these kids is that sometimes they, they can appear perfectly fine. They're calm. Everything is just OK. But this little gust of wind comes out of nowhere and just um, provides the oxygen needed to to really get that flame rolling again. Mm-hmm. Again, apparently out of nowhere. And, and the parent could be the one that provides that little gust of wind or mm-hmm. um you know, um, some hormone or something else inside the kid could cause that little gust of wind. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, it just happens. Right. Right. Now, if we're thinking that this could be ODD and we say, what are the causes of ODD? What, what where does this come from? Um, it's almost always the result of some deeper issue. Right. Okay. We, we don't know what it is, but something is going on. And, most authorities believe that it's that the oppositional tendencies tend to mask some pain or fear or anxiety that resides in in the child that, that shouldn't be there, but it is. And so there's one author who who sort of takes there's three, she considers three root causes of right. defiant behavior. And one is trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really trauma affects people differently. Some people are very resilient. They can Mm -hmm. experience something and they seem to be able to handle it. Okay. Other people are more brittle emotionally and the same amount of trauma creates um, more anxiety or more, um, more emotions, creates bigger emotions. So trauma is one. Uh, There could be something wrong. Uh, Bruce Perry asks that wonderful question of what happened to you? Right. You know, that, that if you're, and this is especially true for teachers who encounter a teenager or um, so, somebody who doesn't know the, the child's history right. will say, well, why is this kid acting this way? Well, one of the questions is what, what happened? Bruce Perry is right. What happened to you? What, what, what happened in your life that have, that could have created this pain or this fear? Right. The other is anxiety. And I, I think this is what I see most frequently mm-hmm. is I see kids who Kids who have ODD are highly, many of them are highly anxious. It doesn't necessarily have to be obsessively anxious, but they just live in this very frightening, unpredictable, unstable world. Mm -hmm. And they can't, they're they're sort of always on edge and always ready to either either run away or or, or to fight somebody, okay? Because the anxiety. And the third is insecure attachment. And we all know about reactive attachment disorder, Right. And different disorders of attachment where a child just never attached to a nurturing adult, either because the child didn't want to or didn't have an adult who was available. Right. And, and I think that this is another one that's that's very common because um, that and not necessarily all the way to the level of a react, reactive attachment disorder. But, you know, when parents are, you know, when a kid grows up in a very authoritarian home, um, oftentimes you see sort of this rebound effect where the kid becomes very oppositional right. as soon as some of those hard uh, corporal punishments, hard um, disciplinary uh, approaches that right. parents who are um, authoritarian tend to administer. Um, as soon as, as soon as some of those things are taken off the table, 
Right. Um, you see this this rebound where the kid becomes very oppositional, um, and and it is not necessarily to the level of a reactive attachment disorder, but it is a relational issue. It is an, mm-hmm. an issue with the relationship between the kid and the parents. Right. Right. And you know there 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 is what Barry Brazelton called the temperamental mismatch between right. the the parent anticipated that this is how my child would be. Mm-hmm. And the child has a very different temperament and you get into this temperamental mismatch and you have this, this friction between these two people that goes across a lifetime. They're, they're from infancy to, to adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we need to take a more, take a more comprehensive, um, you know, some, well, some recommend taking a more comprehensive um, right. view of, of some of these behaviors um, to look at, um, look at, teen behaviors, especially when these oppositional behaviors emerge in adolescence. Right. Um, That's right. If you're just seeing it for the first time, you're a, right. you're a middle school teacher and this kid comes into your class and has, has all these behaviors and you, you go to the counselor or the school psychologist and say, what's going on here? <clears throat> and so this is, this is from the children's hospital in Boston and they're, it's a pretty reliable source. You know, we, we rely on them. That's a, it's a group that, uh, studies this stuff very carefully, right. and they have they've divided it into two two categories. One right. are developmental factors, right? Yeah, and, and and again, you know, going back to what we were just talking about, and Barry uh, Brazelton and and others who have talked about sort of that goodness of fit between the parent and the child's temperament. You know, right? We we don't think about personality in kids, but we think about temperament in kids, mm-hmm. and temperament is sort of the the foundational uh, structure from which um, personality is often built and the way that that structure is built often right. relies on what happens in the environment. And so um, that's that nature nurture uh, interplay. Um, but when you have a kid who has temperamental challenges mm-hmm. um, that make them sort of quick to anger, makes them sort of slow to warm up or slow to make some connections, or they're just, they're just difficult because they have right. that rigid thinking that Ross Green talks about. Um, all of those sort of developmental factors um, are at play. And we need to look at that as, as part of the cause. I, there, there's not, there's not a, we, we have to be careful not to think about a cause of a oppositional defiant disorder, because if we knew the cause of it, then we'd be able to cure it. You know, we'd be able mm-hmm. to fix it. Um, you know, every, at most disorders that we, that we know the cause, we can prevent it because right. we just have to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, we don't know the cause of opposition right. defiant disorder. And so we have to look at some of these different things and, and these developmental factors are part of it. That's right. The, the developmental factors begin with temperament and different kids have different temperaments. Some kids are easy, some are difficult. And so it may be that these kids who have a very difficult temperament, we have trouble establishing a nurturing relationship with a parent because they are difficult, because right. they do have a tough temperament. So one is it could just be developmental, just the way this kid is structured. Mm -hmm. The second is learned factors. Right. Yeah. We can't underestimate those. Right. Because kids learn what from what they experience. You know, if if every time dad gets upset about something, he's throwing his phone across the room. Guess what the teenager is going to do when he starts getting upset? He's going to throw things. He may not throw things when dad's present because there's probably going to be a consequence, a heavy consequence to doing that. Uh, But he's surely going to do that when dad's not present, when when it's he's outside the home or somewhere else. Um, It's man, it just 
it's so difficult, Richard, isn't it, to, to when working with parents, because it's like, no, we see this over and over and over and over again. Um, the, the pattern is um, irrefutable. I mean, when kids witness those things and experience those things at home when they're growing up, invariably, they're going to perform those behaviors as they become adolescents and, you know, again, outside of the home, typically. Oh, Richard, you are on mute, I think. Um, so you were talking, Maybe. but we didn't hear yeah. you. You can hear me now. Now I can. Can you hear me now? Um, yeah, one of the things that we talk that that we know is associated with this very oppositional, angry teenager is kids who have experienced excessive punishment, right? Um, whether it's physical punishment or you know, every time my kid does something, I could, well, I'm going to take your phone for two months. You know, that, that's, that, that could be considered excessive punishment um, for some kids and they're going to react negatively to that. Okay. Right. And so excessive punishment is something that could lead to oppositional behavior. Right. And, um, and, it, most, and it absolutely is the interplay of those, of that experience with the kid's temperament, because you, you have those kids who have a very passive temperament and so when they experience those things, they become more internalized. So they become right. more depressed or anxious or, or, or those kinds of experiences. Mm -hmm. Kids that are, have more of a difficult or sort of warm type of temperament, those are the kids that are going to be more oppositional and they're going to be more defiant as That's they right. get older. And, right. and it's, it's not that it's predictable, but the pattern is pretty, pretty apparent. Right. Yeah. If you're, if you're excessively coming down on your kids, you risk creating that. Okay. Right. Also, uh, they get attention. Um, if, if, if I misbehave, I capture my parents' attention. If yeah. I do what I'm supposed to do, I don't. Okay. And the third is if there's an early pattern, if, mm -hmm. if the pattern of acting out started very early and I realized that I get a lot of the attention of my parents, that could be a factor that that's something that a kid learns that if the more oppositional I am, the more attention I get. Right. Okay. And so that could also be a factor. So those are learned. Those are, those are things that kids learn that could also explain why they become oppositional by the time they're teenagers. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are other factors because we talked about authoritarian parents, sort of the other extreme of that is permissive parents. And that that, too, can cause a lot of problems. Uh, parents who just sort of let their kids do whatever they want. Um, don't monitor them at all. Again, you kind of get into that situation sometimes where a parent is permissive, but what they really are doing is. Um, not attending. Um, right. And the kid will do things that they need to do to get their parents' attention. And oftentimes that's negative things. Right. That's right. Now, before we, before we move on, so we have, it could be developmental, it could be something about the child, or it could be something the child has learned. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we need to understand before we talk about, okay, what do we do about it, is that it's important to understand that the symptoms um, of oppositional defiant disorder um, often include symptoms of other disorders. And the reason this is important, for example, 50 to 65% of defiant children also have ADHD, mm -hmm. okay? 35% have a mood disorder, uh, mm -hmm. a depression. 20% have a mood disorder, such as bipolar. We talked about anxiety. Uh, so 20% of kids who have ODD also have anxiety. 
or 35% have depression. 15% develop a personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So we know there's some relationship between oppositional defiant disorder and these other disorders. The reason that's important is because when we decide what we're going to do, we have to know, does the child have a disorder of impulse control or does the child have a mood disorder or an anxiety disorder? Because that's going to be absolutely essential. You remember Dr. Silver, Mm -hmm. what he always said to us was, you have to make the right diagnosis. Okay? Right. If you're going to get to intervention, you have to get the right diagnosis. Right. So when you're talking about oppositional defiant disorder, you have to keep in mind that it could be related to some other type of mental health disorder. Absolutely. So, so as we think about what to do, you know, the, the things that we want to avoid, um, you know, to we, when we started talking last week about what is, um, you know, if, if, a behavior is abnormal, we needed to start out by thinking about what is normal. When we think about what to do about it, we need to start out with what not to do. Right. What, when we think about what not to do, the first thing is, um, is avoiding power struggles. Please. You know, yes. it's so, um, it is so difficult for some <clears throat> parents to accept. Um, but there are some things that you're just not going to be able to make <laughs> to do. Um, if they don't want to, you're not gonna be able to make them do it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, how many times have we heard stories about kids who will sit at the dining room table for mm-hmm. three hours and just absolutely refuse to eat, you know, their uh, vegetable if they don't want it, or they will, um, you know, they will just adamantly refuse to do homework or something. It doesn't matter what the consequence is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what, ha- what, where that's coming from is that there is this power struggle and the, the parent doesn't want to give in, but, mm-hmm. but when it comes to some of these behaviors, that you want your kid to do, if they're not going, if they don't want to do it, mm-hmm. they're, they're many times they're just not going to do it. There's a there's a wonderful commercial now. I think it's a macaroni and cheese commercial. <laughs> this little girl, she's about eight. <laughs> Fine, then I'll sit here all night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're happy to go to war over that kind of stuff. Right, they don't care. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, if we're not careful, that's that's where the emerging um, other disorders like eating disorders and things like that can come from, because now all of a sudden you you have this power struggle and it's like, well, you know, you can make me do all of these other things, but you can't make me do this. Right. That's right. And so. The, right. And so, please, whatever you do, because take having power is sort of an intervention. Right. right. You're going to do it because I told you to do it. Right. That's an intervention. You're doing it because I told you to do it. I made you do it. Right. It's, it's not, you're not going to win those battles. Right. You, right. you, you might win a battle, but you're going to lose the war. Right. Okay. And, and similarly, you can't reward and punish. No. Kids with oppositional defiant disorder. You, you, no. you just, there, there's, and I get into these discussions with people at schools all the time, Richard, and it makes me want to pull my hair out mm-hmm. um, because they'll say, well, no, look, when you give him this, you know, he 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 wants that. So he'll behave. Yes, he wants that right now. Um, but then tomorrow he doesn't want that. He doesn't he want to play, he doesn't want to play with the Play-Doh. He mm-hmm. wants the Legos today. Right. And no, he doesn't want the Legos today. He wants you to give him money today right. <laughs> um, because it just, it just keeps going up and up. And so you're not going to be able to reward or punish the, no. the oppositional defiant disorder out of these kids. 
No, you, you're not going to do it. You can't punish it out of them and you can't reward it out of them. You're, it's, it's just not going to work. Um, we can give you a thousand reasons why, but right. take our word for it. It's not going to work. Right. So so when we think about, so, so we avoid those things. We avoid the power struggles, avoid trying to reward it out of them. We got to avoid um, mm-hmm. trying to punish it out of them. Um, when we think about treatments that we, we see, um, you know, Oftentimes people will talk about medication um, and we should start this out with, there is no medication for oppositional defiant disorder. Um, instead, what, what, what psychiatrists and physicians will do is they will uh, attempt to approach it from either the perspective of it being an, uh, sort of an impulse control problem like with ADHD, or they'll treat it as some form of anxiety or mood related disorder like depression or something like that. And they will, prescribe medications to manage mood stability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the anger outbursts, for example, um, is a big challenge for a lot of kids. There's no medication for that. No. Mm-hmm. Um, but a medication that is a, is FDA approved to help, um, mm-hmm. with irritable kids is like Risperdal, which is an antipsychotic medication. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but it's a medication that helps decrease um, it decreases irritability. It stabilizes mood. It doesn't make you not angry. It just right. stabilizes mood. So it's more difficult to become angry. That's right. Yeah. There's, there's no medication for, for the symptoms for ODD. Um, it just, you know, there's no medication for teasing your sister or right. for being annoying or for right. being oppositional. Um, but, but we can approach it from those two standpoints is, am I looking at an Im- a disorder of impulse control is, is do I think that's what's causing my child to be oppositional? Is is that he can't control his impulses, or am I looking at an angry, irritable child who um, has a mood disorder? Now, if if that's the case, then we have medication for impulse control right. and we have medication for mood. Okay, right. but um, but it's not always going to be clear what we're dealing with. If it is, then we have those two approaches. But chances are. Um, there are going to be other factors involved. And so we have to take a more comprehensive approach. And um, because there, you're not going to get a medication for ODD. Okay. So it's going to take a more comprehensive approach. And the Mayo Clinic, which is another group that we rely on uh, for reliable information, um, has an um, sort of has a has a, a multi-pronged approach um, that has interventions that you use for the teenager interventions that you use for the parents and interventions that you use for the family because right. it's going to require all three. Absolutely. And, and these interventions should make sense, right? So they, you know, we, we start out with parent training on, on how to best manage um, and respond to oppositional behavior. Um, right. So, you know, they, they talk about having a more consistent and more sort of positive leaning um, environment for the kid and for the family. Um, and so it begins with that parent training, um, as the foundation. Yeah. When we said earlier that you can't punish or reward these kids into compliance, into submission, you're not going to do it. There are other things, but most parents, most of us don't have access to those other things. So you're going to need to be trained how to be a parent for this child. Right. Because the typical parent things that we use don't work with these kids. Okay, right. they will, they, they just don't work. And punishment and rewards are part of that that just don't work. And so you're going to need to get uh, advice from other people about how to parent this child. One of the things that 
and I, I was a little bit reluctant to put this in. There's a there's a strategy called parent-child interaction therapy, PCIT. But this is something that that is under very controlled circumstances, and you you put the child and the parent in a room. And the parent has an earpiece so you can talk to the parent and the child doesn't know. And you correct the parent as they're interacting with the child. That takes a lot of um, structure. And most of us don't have that structure. But what we can do is we can have the parents walk us through a scenario Mm -hmm. and say, okay, tell me what happened at the dinner table last night. Mm -hmm. What did your child do? And then what did you say? And you can take those scenarios in an office setting and mm-hmm. say, okay, next time that happens, let's try this. Right. Okay. So, th- and that's a more practical way of doing parent child interaction therapy. Yeah. And, and you also, you know, something that I know that we both have done is, is, is have the parent and child sitting in front of us and right. have some of those discussions and say, Oh, Whoa, wait a minute. Okay. So this is where we're going to go off onto this. This is what's right. going to happen next. So let's stop that and go in this other direction. And, right. and, you know, that interaction between, the parent and child. And the, the, the real difficulty here is the, the reality that um, because by the time you become, you have a teenager, the parent has been doing what the, the parents will come in and say, this kid has been doing this for so long. Um, right. And they're, you know, they just won't stop. Mm-hmm. And what they're failing to recognize often is that the parent has been doing what they're doing for so long that they're pretty resistant and changing as well. And so the parent is going to have to make some changes. Um, there is nothing, there is nothing that I can do to change the kid. If the kid is just going to go back into the same environment where everything is happening just as it has for the last 15 Mm -hmm. years of his life, Mm -hmm. um, everything has to change. And that's sort of this Mayo clinic approach that you, you can't just, the third prong, of course, is that is individual therapy for the kid. Right. Um, individual therapy for the kid isn't going to change things, at least not in any ex- expediency. It's not going to change quickly because the environment has to change. Everything That's has right. to change. Yeah. If, if many times parents or teachers or partners, because it happens in family therapy, it happens in couples therapy as well, is that you say, well, I want I want my child to change. I want you to change my child, okay? And what you're asking us to do is you're saying to us, as a parent, I'm gonna continue doing what I do. Mm -hmm. I want you to change my child. So what I have to say to the child is, look, your dad is not gonna change. He's not gonna do anything. Um, You have to do all the changing. How many kids are gonna accept that? We're talking about a kid who's already oppositional. Right. How many kids are going to say, wait a minute, so it's okay for my mother to call me names and to punish me and take my phone for no reason and to blame me for things that I'm not doing, but I have to do all the changing. That's what you're asking us. Okay? Right. So no, parents parents also have to change. Like it or not, you have to change because you can't expect a child, no child is going to accept that, particularly right. a child with ODD. Right. Uh, this is an interaction between the two of you. Parents say, well, it's always arguing with me. They can't argue unless you're arguing back. Right. I mean, don't give them somebody to argue with. Well, I'm the parent. I'm allowed to do it. Okay. But you do that with your other children. It's okay. Maybe. Right. But this child is different and is going to require a different approach. So parent training is absolutely essential. 
Right. And again, it's the, it's the failure of the parent to recognize that they may be contributing to what's going right. on. That's right. Um, that's difficult. Exactly. And because it is an interaction. I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about a kid who's creating havoc in the household, which consists of parents and siblings. Right. Absolutely. So individual, and when we get to individual therapy, we're, we're, we're talking about two, there are two that are, are commonly used and have been shown to be effective. One is cognitive problem solving, which is sort of cognitive behavioral therapy, where you challenge the child to change their thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, what, what, what do you mean your dad hates you? So you're basing your decision on a parent hates you. Is, is, that, a, is that an accurate assumption that you're making? So you change the child's thinking so they change the behavior. The other, the second type is collaborative problem solving. Mm-hmm. Collaborative problem solving is parent and child working together to develop a solution for the problems that they're having. So you can see that the sh- we've shifted from reward and punish mm-hmm. to collaboration and cooperation. Right. And that's what we do with these kids. The individual therapies are more collaborative. Right. There's a caveat here, which we're going to talk about later. But we ha- you have to rely on these kinds of approaches because the typical approaches are not going to work. Right. And in that sense, that's where we get into like family therapy, where that's you're right. working with the kid and with the parents together. Um, right. Not just the siblings. See, right. Absolutely. Not just to see what those dynamics are, like that parent-child interactive um, therapy, but, but working with to kind of work through this process. Um, and so that's where you have that family therapy piece. And, and you know, sometimes... We, we have to teach social skills and um, for the, to, to the parents and to the kids um, to help them understand how to interact and how to engage with others. That's right. One of the, one of the hallmarks of opposition defiant disorder, we've said it, we've repeated it throughout, is these kids tend to ignite very quickly. So as a parent, you don't want to do anything that would create that ignition. Okay, so that's that's why we we need to understand how to do this because it's very easy because you do the normal parenting things, but in these kids, not only does it not work, it actually creates problems. Absolutely. So we're going to wrap up today's podcast with a talk with, with some things that can be done in the home. Right now, um, you know, parents can start to implement and to make some uh, adjustments um, to, to try to help manage some of these things, sometimes to help prevent some of these issues and sometimes to help just respond to them appropriately. Right. And so, um, you know, when a parent is experiencing, um, is managing their, their oppositionally defiant um, mm-hmm. teenager, you know, one of the things that, you know, the research suggests is, is can be powerful is the importance of recognizing and praising positive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard, how many times have you talked with a kid and it's like, they feel like the, the all they do is negative because all they ever hear are redirections. No, mm-hmm. don't do that. You're wrong. No, that's all they hear. Um, mm-hmm. And so sometimes kids just need to hear positive things. Right. And I don't like using praise as a candy, as a star, right. as a sticker. Right. We don't talk, we're not talking about that kind of praise, like, oh, honey, you did such a good job. Don't do that. That's, that's rewarding. That's, and that doesn't work with these kids. We talk about recognition and praise. If you said something to your child, like, hey, I really like the way you did your homework tonight. What yeah. you're doing is you're, you're saying to the child, um, 
this is how I want it to look. That's all you're saying to the child. And the child says, oh, okay, so that's what they want. Now I get it. Okay. What I did. Okay. Now I understand. So it's not that you're patting them on the head. It's that you're, you're, you're telling them, this is the kind, this is how I want it to look. Right. Okay. And that a kid can, can understand. Absolutely. And, and, and going along with that is the idea of modeling the behavior that you want the kid to, to perform. You know, uh, parents will say, you know, go clean your room. And the kid will go in there and they'll come out and they'll say, I'm done. And the parents will say, no, you're not. Get back in there and finish cleaning your room. And the kid will go back in there and they'll come out a little bit later and they'll say, okay, I finished. No, you're not. That's not where that's supposed to be. You know, you need to go back. And, and so it's like a trial and error. And it doesn't take long before the kid is like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. This is crazy. I keep, this is fine to me. I live in this room. I sleep in this room. Um, this is my room. How many kids say that? Um, I can't, I'm not going to make my room like what she wants. Um, but part of that is because he has no idea what she wants. The, 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 the behavior hasn't been modeled. So, so you have to, um, oh, I think you're on mute again, Richard. Um, so you have to model that behavior um, so that the kid knows what it looks like. Exactly. And what, and the first, if you don't want your, if you want your kids to apologize to you, you have to demonstrate apologies to them. Okay. Absolutely. If you want your kids to be kind and to speak softly, and we often hear parents say, use your indoor voice, you know, while they're screaming at the kid. Okay. Right. You, the kids are going to do what they see, not what you tell them. Okay. Right. So model the behavior that you want. Right. If you don't want screaming and yelling from your child, then don't model screaming and yelling to them. Okay? And we said earlier that you avoid power struggles. You also have to pick your battles. I mean, you, I frequently say to parents, look, forget about all this stuff. Let's just work on one thing. Okay, let's get this. Let's take the low hanging fruit. Let's take the, well, what am I going to do? But don't worry about that right now. Okay. Right. Let's just do this. If you can't get your child out of, if you can't get your child out of bed in the morning, don't worry about everything else. Let's just, let's just accomplish that. Okay? Right. Let's yeah. do one thing. Yeah. You, you know, parents come in sometimes at the office and, you know, they're, they're dealing with their kids sneaking out of the house at, in the middle of the night or, um, you know, doing all these negative things. And, and but yet then they'll still fight about cleaning the room. It's like, well, <laughs> wait a minute. They, <laughs> You can't fight about that or, or that he's not putting his dishes away or he's leaving the towel on the floor. Wait, why are we, why are we fighting over that when we have these huge issues going on? Right. We, can't, we can't fix everything all at one time. Right. Or the, or the example that I frequently use with parents is you ask the child to clean her room. And that's all you want. That's, that's the goal is to get the room clean. And she gives a sigh of disgust. Right. And says something like, this is so stupid. And then the parent now goes after uh, you're being rude and disrespectful. Right. Okay. So right. you have one fire burning to get right. the room clean. Now the child does that and you react and that sets a second fire. Right. And to, to then you challenge the child, say, you can't talk to me that way. And, that, and the child says, oh, shut up. I can do it. If I... Now you got a third fire burning. Okay. Right. Or the parent will say, um, this is just the one thing that I ask you to do. You don't have to do anything else. What do you have to be so angry about all the time? Where, where does that come from? Again, we, we said this at the beginning. Um, I don't necessarily like cleaning my room. I don't like, I don't right. like washing the dishes. I don't like mm-hmm. mowing the yard. Um, you know, some people do. That's great. Right. 
Um, I don't like doing it. And so when, when I have to go out and do it, I feel the same way. I, man, I'm right there with you. God, I hate doing it, but Hey, just, you know, but this is why we maintain it. Right. I don't wait three months in the middle of summer before I mow the yard again, because if I do, man, it's going to be a huge challenge. Right. Don't wait three weeks before you clean up your room, just put things back where they go. And then it will right. be difficult. Um, right. But that's the lesson. Instead of we turning in, turn it into a power struggle. Right. And again, before things accelerate, um, you want to set limits. Okay. You want to have, you want to clear, you want to, you want to have very clear limits about what is and what isn't allowed, but you don't want to set those limits during a confrontation. And that's what many parents do say, well, from now on, this is how this is going to be. That's not the time to set limits, set limits when everybody's calm. That's the collaborative problem solving approach. Sit down when everything's calm and say, honey, this is, this is what we have to do. And you reach that agreement because these kids are not always out of control. They're episodically out of control. Um, So when, when things are calm, then you can start setting these limits. Don't try to do anything during the heat of battle. Right. And, and, and similarly, you want to, you want to have a good routine. We talked about this a little bit last week is Mm -hmm. the more, consistent and predictable, the environment and the, the, the daily schedule, the daily um, expectations, the, the easier it is for the kid and for you to, to manage things. Um, you know, if it's, if you know, kids are going to be oppositional, if all of a sudden, you know, they're in the middle of something and all of a sudden you have to, you make them stop to go do something else. It's, it's one thing if that's on occasion, every once in a while, it's a different thing with some families where that happens almost every day. I think the starting point for, for most of the families that I work with is they have to set up a better routine Mm -hmm. Um, because what you're doing, what many families get into is it's, it's an incident by incident um, uh, relationship is, is you're, you're constantly fighting about things throughout the day. And what you're fighting about are things like getting up in the morning, going to bed at night, brushing your teeth, you have to set those routines early. And if you can't set routines, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to accomplish much else. I mean, if you can't get your child to get up in the morning, don't worry about how they talk. I mean, that's just one of many problems that you're dealing with. So, so you, you have to be able to set up these routines. Once you have a routine, then you stop fighting about this stuff. Right. I mean, if you know that every day at seven o'clock, I have to get out of bed. If you do that every single day, eventually it's going to become the way we do things in our family. Right. And part of that routine is, is building in time to spend right. together as a family. And, and, you know, that can be everything from, um, you know, we're going to sit and have a play a board game tonight, uh, or we're going to, it's time today, we're going to clean the house, but we're all going to clean the house together, right. you know, so you can spend time together with enjoyable things, but even work together. Right. Um, but that stuff has to be set up. Yes, you're going to get to a point where your teenager doesn't want to spend that kind of time with you. Right. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, to, to say, you know, well, we're at least going to have dinner together. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to, like, sit around and play board games or watch a movie together. Right. The, the most teenagers will be happy to watch a movie with you if it's a movie they want to see. Um, right. But but build in some time together, even if it's just working together. And it's, you know, Russ Barkley talks about that. I think it's step four and he has an eight, eight or nine step process with uh, kids who are disruptive and defiant. And one of the things he talks about is special time with your child where there's no teaching involved. You know, right. There's no moralizing. There's no teaching. It's just fun time together. I know one of my kids like to go fishing. And so that was the one thing that 
invariably she would agree to do okay other kids will watch a movie other kids want to go shopping Mm -hmm. um and so spend quality time where there's no teaching so that you have a positive reference that you can say hey that was really fun that was really good that was really a good time Mm -hmm. so that the child has more than just um punishment and negativity um, for every interaction there are positive interactions Right. And what goes along with that is, you know, figuring out what the kid enjoys, but also letting the kid have some choices. So let let them choose what their chore is. You know, if you need them to, you know, if these are the five chores that need to be done, um, have them, you know, identify. Would you rather take out the trash or would you rather clear the table? Exactly. What chore do you want to do? Here they are. You know, somebody has to do these things. Which one do you want to do? Everybody has to do something. Right. But but I think the most critical piece is that parents, you have to be prepared for some of these challenges. You have to be prepared for it early on. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, a lot of this stuff is going to be typical, um, you know, so you be prepared for it as they're growing up. But you also have to be prepared for it in the moment. You you Mm -hmm. know, um, oh, my gosh plans are going to change tonight because I wasn't expecting this. So I know he's going to have a hard time with this change in routine uh, for tonight because he's going to be expecting to come home from school and play video games. And he's not going to be able to do that because we have to go to the store. Um, Be prepared for it and, and, um, and calm yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. take care of your own um, stress and, and frustration and everything with it so that you don't become just as reactive as he's going to be. Right. Right. Um, there's another thing I want to mention about chores. Um, this is a frequent, a frequent problem that we deal with is you, a a child has a chore, typically clean your own bathroom. Okay. And so the child goes and cleans the bathroom, but it's not done the way the parent wants it to be done. Okay. Because parents are better at cleaning than kids are. Okay. So you didn't, so the parent goes in to inspect we have this inspection tour and the parent says, oh yeah, you clean it, but, but no, you didn't do it right. You didn't do it properly. This is another one of those places where I just want you to clean the bathroom. Cleaning it perfectly is a different issue. Cleaning it to my satisfaction is a different issue. So let's start with, okay, you're in the habit of cleaning the bathroom. You're not yet doing it the way I want you to do it, but you're in the habit of doing it. Now that we have the habit built in, now we can start honing that down to get it the way you want it to be. Right. Okay. And the- mowing the lawn, cleaning a bathroom, running the vacuum cleaner. I just want you to do it. The first right. step is just make it a routine. Right. Then we can talk about how well you're doing. Right. And that's where that's where the modeling piece comes in, where the parent shows this is how I want you to do it. And so, right. you know, working together, uh, doing those chores together sometimes helps with that. So, right. Yeah. All right. Well, th- I think that's it for today. This this was a, a bit longer of a podcast than we typically mm-hmm. doing lately, but um, hopefully it's a lot of good information. We're going to talk more next week about some other interventions and strategies for kids and teenagers with oppositional behavior, um, mm. because we've we've heard from some listeners who who, who are asking for more specific um, recommendations and ideas mm-hmm. and strategies and stuff. So we're going to try to provide some of those. Um, but hopefully this was a good start um, for everyone and uh, we'll be back at it. But know that we do listen and we do hear um, your your questions and what you're um, in need of. And we're trying to uh, respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's it then for today. 
Until raising next raising uh, teenagers, right? Uh, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. All right. That's it for today. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.